Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Stuart McNish, coming to you from the studios at Oh Boy Productions, specialists in the development of video and podcasts just like this one. If you're looking to produce and distribute a cast, I encourage you to contact the team at Oh Boy. This week, we take a look at the impact of money laundering on the economy in general and the real estate market in particular. Based on two different reports that employ a wide range of assumptions, it is estimated that at the top end of the dirty money spectrum, BC's real estate market has been affected with an injection of up to $5 billion. Now, even if those estimates are off, the fact that dirty money can find its way into our economy only to be washed clean is reason enough to do whatever we can to stop the practice. Building an economy based on ill-gotten gains is a false economy, and worse yet, it promotes the idea that wrongdoing is somehow acceptable. One of the reasons Vancouver and Canada are attractive places to move to is our quality of life, which is built on the principles of honesty and integrity. We invited Sewer Somerville, one of the authors of the report, into the impact of money laundering in the BC real estate market, and Attorney General David Eby to join us to talk about the impact. What we know now about the methods that are used to hide the flow of dirty money and what we can do to make Canada and BC less attractive to money launderers. Now to our first guest, Sewer Somerville. Mr. Somerville, welcome. Thank you. Hitting the airwaves over the last weekend a bit is uh, all this, um, I want to say chatter around uh, money laundering in the real estate sector, right? right? First of all, there's outrage and now I'm hearing, oh yeah, well, are the numbers real? And then how does it work? And so on. Um, It was pointed out to me that you've got a pretty good handle on what's going on here. Can you explain how, what the mechanisms might be in which money laundering could happen and how big of an influence you think that it has on the market? All right. So I don't, I would, I would not say that I have a good handle on it with all at all. So let's just, Okay, so you're being modest. No, no, I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm a housing markets and a real estate person. You know, I'm not sort of the money laundering expert. I'm on the, okay, well, how do we translate money laundering into real estate? So if you think about sort of our our divisions of expertise on the panel, you know, that's not my primary area of expertise. So um, the the thing about, you know, money laundering in real estate is, uh, and again, this is, this is, a result of, you know, sort of things people have discovered sort of around the world over time in various different different ways is essentially there are a myriad of different ways that it flows into real estate. Um, and so if you think about the issue with money laundering, the issue is taking dirty money, yeah. right, cleaning it, placing it, creating legitimate income out of it. And creating investments out of it, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, it's, it's not just the I have a bunch of cash. What do I do with it, right? By definition, if the f- funds came from what is known as a predicate crime, um, and that's a predicate crime in Canada, no matter where the money came from, then it's money laundering. Even if all you're doing is transferring things from one bank account to another here, if the original source is money that that has its root in the commission of a, of a crime then anywhere along that process is money laundering okay S- right so 
And, and, and money laundering could also be wanting to uh, take it from one country and give it legitimacy in another. So that's without that's, it being that, criminal, but but still. No, that's part. That's part of the layering process, right? Yeah. So so to the extent that you're trying to hide the original sources, it's still criminal. Yeah. Right. But the action itself doesn't necessarily appear to be criminal. Mm-hmm. Right. And so so if you think about how you can do that in in in, in real estate, well, you know, placing the money in real estate just as an investment and holding the asset, there, you know, when you do that in a country with with rule of law and protections and clear title, it's a very secure place of, 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 of putting the money, uh, particularly in a, in a place like Vancouver, where we've seen a lot of asset appreciation. So just mm-hmm. sort of, so working back from the end, going yeah. forward, right, there's that. If you're placing it in a building that, that is then rented out, then you have a stream of income, which is now legitimate income, and you claim taxes on it. And if you're, if, if, you know, if you're money laundering, claiming taxes can also be a very good thing, because that's legitimizing the income, right? Mm-hmm. Al, Al Capone didn't go to prison for, for killing people, right? He went to prison for tax evasion, right. that's so, right. So, yeah. So, so you know, having a you know, so having have, having an income flow right that is then taxed on is, is 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 valuable that way. So you know, so investing in real estate and renting it out can 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 be an appropriate thing. Or you're just investing in assets that you're holding vacant because they're just mm-hmm. a store. Um, you can uh, make loans. You can give a mortgage that has again sort of illicit sources of where those funds come from, create a mortgage that's now sort of a legitimate piece. Then the repayments of that mortgage are now taxes that you you know right. that, and, so, that, and by because one of the questions that was posed to me, well, as a developer or a seller, I can't take cash. Right. And no. so there has to be another layer that gets filtered so into it, this. It can be right. it can be layered multiple times. And so 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 the the big money, we're not talking about, you know, the street dealer who's got five hundred dollars in his po- you know, five thousand dollars in his pocket and he's spending it today. We're not talking right. about that. We're talking about the millions and millions and millions and millions. That stuff's moving through layers of financial institutions around the world. It's getting loaned from one institution one entity to another. So, you know, so you you've got you can create shell companies that borrow from other shell companies, right? So you're 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 doing this layering in different places and, 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 and hiding it. Um, that doesn't make it illegitimate. Right. So there could be a track record at some point, but it's going Going back through legitimate uh, uh, financial institutions where you start to say, oh, okay, well, that's clean money that's now coming in at this point, and then it's going into real estate. Well, that's so that's what you he- you hear from the industry here is we're yeah. not taking bags of money, right. right? That doesn't mean that it's not money laundering. <laughs> right. So, so, so if you think about then trying to figure it out, there's sort of two directions you can go. One is to try to start at the bottom and sort of percolate your way up, and that, in some sense, what the anecdotes in Peter German's report is doing. Right. Yeah. He's kind of doing that. Um, we're taking a sort of top-down approach, which is saying, well, you know, if this is the to- like, like you can start with, this is the total amount of crime and the total amount of proceeds of crime in the world, then total world money laundering can't exceed that. <laughs> right. <laughs> True. Right. So we're 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 we took more of a top-down uh, approach, which then sort of says, well, how much of that is domestic, and how much of that is moving around? Okay. What'd you find? Um, so what the uh, what we report mm-hmm. um, is an estimated uh, 7.5. Um, billion dollars, my number's right, of yeah. money laundering in 2018 in BC. And that's based on a percentage of GDP. Right. So we, we have data, because you need worldwide data on this, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got worldwide data 2010 to 2015 that gets matched with provincial data. So we get, you know, we, we treat sort of different provinces in Canada as separate countries, mm-hmm. right, in terms of sort of trying to estimate these flows. Um, and um, 
that gives you a base and and then based on financial flows and and waiting and some calibration based on 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 dutch data that gives you an idea of how the the illicit flows then then work as well right. and that's that's where the estimate comes from so we estimate around on average 2.5% of gdp on the 2010 to 2015, mm -hmm. then we extrapolate forward as a percentage of GDP. It's hard to know exactly, though. Oh, well, there's, no exact, there's no exact. Because it's hidden. It's, there's, not, there's not an exact. This, this, yeah. is, this is an estimate, yeah. right? And, um, and the fact that it's an estimate, uh, we're very upfront about the estimate, and we're yeah. very upfront about what the, 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 the limitations are. But you know, people tend to see a number and see a report that has equations and Greek letters in it, and yes. that sort of gets the, and this is the speed of light kind of accuracy, and it's not. Right. But I, but I think the, what you need to take away from it is this is not a $200 million, this is not a $500 million process. There's a whole bunch of money. Billions of dollars. We get billions of dollars. Yeah. And when you have billions of dollars floating around, and then it's going to be invested, and real estate is a very uh, common place for it to be invested, there's going to be a bunch of money that's in the real estate market that in the absence of the criminal activity wouldn't be there. And that's and that's kind of way that's kind of the way you want to think about that. So I see some people, as is always the case, who go, "Well, hang on a second. They start to then attack the fact that it's an estimate and, and try to diminish the impact right. of that. But the reality is there is an impact on the market. And so when it comes to real estate, we've seen uh, prices in the Greater Vancouver area and in British Columbia by extension, right. elevate. right. How much of that elevation? can we now point at money laundering and say, this had that impact? Because other people are getting into the market and they're going, what exactly is 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 the effect and 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 cost of it? All right. So you know, um, the, we've sort of got layers of this here, right? So so you start out with a number of what you think is the total amount of, of money laundering funds in BC, and then you sort of say, well, of that, you know, if that money is investable, what share goes into real estate? Then what? Then if it's going into real estate, how much goes into commercial? How much goes into residential? And we're making a bunch of very very sort of assumptions that are basically taking existing averages, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, I mean, if, if, if folks who don't have a pension fund, we assume that, 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 that criminals didn't have a pension fund, maybe they yeah. do have pension funds, but we sort of, <laughs> you know, yeah. right? So folks who have investments in real estate who don't have pension funds, about 72% of their portfolio uh, uh, is in real estate. So mm -hmm. we said, let's go 72% in real estate. And then we said, okay, this is a percentage of real estate that's commercial. This is a percentage that's residential by valuation in BC. Let's assume that they take this, you know, same average. And so then you're getting down to a to a number, which, of course, sitting here doing a podcast, I'm blanking on what that actual number is. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's okay. It's really so, about understanding the impact. Right. So, so, so then you're going to get down a number that's on the residential side, right? And then we say, okay, this is, you know increased demand. Mm -hmm. Well, if you if you do standard market, take standard sort of housing market modeling techniques and, and take some parameter estimates, and you take that increase in demand, and you say that would not have been here otherwise, right? What does that do to housing prices? And we're essentially assuming that this level is a sort of a permanent increase, mm -hmm. right? That essentially um, about anywhere between three and seven, you know, seven percent of demand is um, is is money laundering on an ongoing basis, and that you know, on, in the average of the range that that we estimate, is about a five percent higher. Uh, level of residential prices than you would have had otherwise. So if you so if you sort of removed money laundering on a permanent and ongoing basis, given these numbers, housing prices would be about five percent lower 
than they are right now. Than they are right now. So there's two sides to that equation. There are people who have watched the value of their property go up and they're going, thank you very much. Right. Uh, And then there are those who want to get into the market and they're going, but you're 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 shutting me out because that five percent makes the difference between me being eligible for a mortgage and not. Why is it important that we address this when we've got these competing interests? So, so I would say that the issue about money laundering and one of the reasons the problem has nothing to do with housing affordability, first and foremost. Okay. Like, first and foremost, a system where people are breaking the law, where we're rewarding criminal activity, um, one, you know, like that, that's a bad signal, mm-hmm. right? I think in terms of social cohesion, it, it's not good when we have a situation where people are suspecting other people, when we'll look at them, uh, when we do a lot of othering. We, we, housing affordability has been a very good mechanism to do a lot of othering. Yes. You, you pick the, the group. Um, and, you know, to the extent that, you know, we're allowing some basis for those feelings, I don't think that that's good. I mean, and then you have people who are engaged in it, who are facilitating it, and that's the level of corruption of, of, of the professions, you know, corruption of society, that I think has really, really negative long-term impacts. I agree with right. you. Right. So, yeah. so, I think, so, I, so, so I think addressing it, mm-hmm. right, for that reason alone, right? Because you might say, well, what if every money laundering bought, you know, essentially developed a rental housing building and rented it out to low-income people? Isn't that wonderful, right? But no, it's not, because... But but, saying but, but, that the, the, yeah. the ends justify the means. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, think that, I, I think that, you know, like, look around the world and look around societies with high levels of corruption that tends to get worse, mm-hmm. right? Those are not good societies. No, they're not. Right. So, so I think the fundamental reason to do something about money laundering is, you know, things that reward criminal activity are, are pernicious for society. And then, you know, even though the money laundering may not be the actual crime, right, making it harder to launder money, making it more difficult, re- reduces the returns of crime, and essentially says, you know what, this is this may happen anyhow. Have it happen somewhere else, mm-hmm. which is apparently Alberta, as best I can tell. <laughs> well, <laughs> or uh, we'd rather it happen in another country, uh, because as you say, those, uh, we'd those, rather those, it didn't happen at all. But that would be right. blinders on. Right, right. Uh, um, but even then, you know, look, anything that may, you know, it's it's. Do you want to make crime pay, or do you want to make crime not pay? Yes. Right. And I think that's the fundamental question around the money laundering. The fact that real estate is an attractive place to invest, the fact that we have a real estate market that's been uh, very, very challenged means that you have those kinds of effects. Right. Like if we were a real estate market where all that happened is the money flowed in and they built new houses somewhere out that no one lived in. And then the real estate effect would be negligible, mm-hmm. right, uh, as long as this sort of persisted long term. So, like, driving it by, well, it's causing harm to the real estate market, therefore we have to do something about it, I mm-hmm. think is the wrong way to think about it. So. But there is that effect, yeah. and that's not good as well. I agree with everything that right. you're saying. The question then is how, not only do we get to the bottom of that, and I know that that's what the public inquiry is about, but how do we start to put safeguards in place to prevent this from happening, when you say that it's complex and it's multi-layered, right? Well, we have what twenty-nine recommendations or thirty. I can't remember how many recommendations we have. Twenty-nine or thirty recommendations. Right. So there, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but most important on that list is what? All right. So, so the the caveat here is we did not rank 
things in any kind of hierarchy, mm -hmm. right? So we did not make a judgment on what was more important than anything else. Um, I think people who, who are experts in money laundering say the first and most important thing to do is creating a transparent um, registry of what's known as beneficial ownership, mm -hmm. right? which is who's listed as the owner. Not because you think criminals are going to say, oh my God, I'm facing a fine. I'm going to tell the truth on the beneficial. But, it, but you're able to identify uh, things off of that that's useful for people doing criminal research, people doing other kinds of research for media, right? Mm -hmm. as, as we know, like oftentimes it's sort of someone doing a media story that sort of triggers this stuff. When you discover, oh, the, you know, the, the, the sister of the minister of finance in said country um, owns 28 houses worth, you know, five, you know, billion dollars in, 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 in Vancouver, mm. isn't that suspicious, right? Right. You know, and so instead of having it behind a numbered company where we can't necessarily identify right. who that owner is, we need to remove that and shine a light on it. That's on right. Ownership. So that, that is yeah. considered the most important thing, even though you know, right, you know, the head of the Sonola cartel is not going to say, oh yeah, that's my house, right? Right. right. So, so they'll so, put somebody else's name on there, but there's still somebody that you can now start to Right. Track. And the surf skirts linking to taxes. Wait a minute. This, you know, right? CRA now has, you know, an easy thing. So the other part of this that's really important, there's sort of like, we think three really big things. One is, is registry. And that includes a corporate registry, mm -hmm. right? So the beneficial ownership is required also on the corporate registry. So that you're, that so it's identified who uh, owns you're that list, company. You're yeah. listing, right. And beneficial ownership is not who owns the shares or who are the directors, but who actually benefits from it, mm -hmm. right? So, so both on, on, on the real estate side, right, where, where the LODA is what it's, um, its sort of acronym is, which is the Land Ownership Transparency Act, yeah. right, is, is moving forward. And that's, you know, people around the world who are experts in this, you know, far more experts than I have, you know, had nothing but praise for these steps that the, that the, the current government is taking in BC. So you want to see that. Yeah. You want to see that across the country. You know, the next stage is corporate registry ownership mm -hmm. um, also being open and, and transparent. And you'll get companies that will sort of scream about that. But you know what? Making it a little bit difficult, on, more difficult on companies to hide things, in, that strikes me as a relatively small cost to pay mm -hmm. uh, for, for greater, you know, societal transparency. Right. Um, uh, so th that's sort of stage number one. Stage part number two is having some kind of entity that uh, investigates um, financial crimes that's dedicated to that and resourced to do that. And, you know, I, I think the Dutch model on this is really, really impressive. They have a, a financial, I don't know if it's investigative or intelligence unit. Yeah. Because uh, they call it Forensics FI. and so Well, no, it's an yeah. FIU. So yeah. it's unit and financial. The question is what the I is. Right. Um, I think it's financial intelligence unit that, that, that essentially uh, is charged and mandated to doing to investigating financial crimes, and they work both with the tax authorities and with the criminal authorities. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, so having a unit, not a unit that's embedded in the RCMP, where where it's under resourced and you only get advancement when you bust criminals with guns, not you know white collar. Because white collar crime is hard to investigate; it takes a long time, right? Yeah. And so um, it's under under investigated. So creating that mechanism. So that's yeah. number two. And number three is really on the data side, creating you know data frameworks uh, that allow easy easy sharing and comparability across different data sets. So you don't need everything to be open and transparent, but you need, for instance, 
people doing the investigation to not have to spend two weeks trying to sort of unbundle sort of the misspelling right. of various bank names in, in, in the records, right? You need right. good data that, that's then easily linkable. Right. You know, and it's quite ironic, right, that sort of, you know, company big data that Google will sell to you, right, right now is better at doing this than the government data, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so... And we were kind of quirky about that, right? We went ballistic. We some people went went ballistic about sort of sharing bank information with Stats Canada, which is a relatively you know secure way to do it. But they're more than happy to have Google and Amazon and and Track Facebook, everything they do, right? yeah. everything you do, including all your movements. So yeah. you know it's it's a little weird that way, right? I, I I you know it's a trade off. There's a certain amount of loss of privacy that we're probably going to have to give up if we want to deal with some of these things, but we've already given that up anyhow. Which we have. Right. And then it comes back to your point about what kind of society do we want to have? Do we want to have one where uh, criminals can hide or do we want to expose that and, and dampen down that, right. and, that kind of activity? Right. And you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want the surveillance state in the name of cracking down on criminals because that only goes in a bad direction for, 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 for normal, other reasons, yeah. for other reasons and for normal people. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, having Canada sort of be the 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 the, the nicest the, the nicest country to park and wash your money in, doesn't strike me as like the number one spot I want Canada to hold. Right, and then you've got another twenty six uh, recommendations, which we won't get into now. People can read the report. Right, and 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 you know, a number of them deal. You know, you know, we were charged with money laundering and abusive practices in real estate. So some of them are trying to address cleaning up things in in real estate where sort of oversight or rules need updating. Yeah. So you know, and I think those would would have benefits as well. Right. Well, that's great. <laughs> and it's just the beginning of, of trying to understand it. But I think... But fortunately, someone else is going to worry about that, apparently. <laughs> apparently yeah. for the next two years. <laughs> but I wanted to have this kind of explanation for people who are interested to hear it from you, to be able to have a starting point yeah. to, to, to understand things. They can go read the report, and then we they can, can pay attention to what the government's going to do about right. it. Right. You know, and, I, and I think when you're reading the report, you know, the, 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 I, there's been a lot of sort of pushback, particularly from Alberta, yes. uh, on, on the numbers. Right. Um, and in terms of the total amount of money laundering, and I think we, we try to be very clear that, you know, we're using a modeling framework to try to estimate this. We in, in no place think, oh, well, this is the exact definitive number. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's uh, uh, the estimate of where it is on the GDP range is sort of at the low end of numbers that people have thrown around. But those numbers that people have thrown around actually have no basis in research. Yep. So, you know. You know, so if you think it's it's instead of seven point five billion dollars, you think it's five point five billion dollars. Now it's not a problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, you know. So so let, 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 you know. Yeah, I, I know. Right. Yeah. So you know, we, we do say that you can get a really really low number with a bunch of assumptions, right? If if right, if you assume that none of this money is invested, that it's all sort of like consumption spending that flows in and out, there are a set of assumptions that can give you a very very low impact. Those seem very unreasonable assumptions, but you can get there. Yeah. Right. If, if that's what your motivation is. That's what you is. want to do to do it. You know, and I, and I think what we've tried to do is say, you know, lay out, here's a reasonable set of uh, uh, assumptions that gets you to a certain place. Yeah. We actually think, you know, my view is that the number is probably on total money laundering is actually probably low because 
the, the place it's hardest to estimate is the international flows, mm -hmm. particularly from countries that are underreporting corruption and underreporting crime. And so the total amount of sort of uh, illegal funds are actually probably larger that actually get reported. So for instance, well, you know, if a Russian if a Russian oligarch uses the legal system to seize the company of somebody, that's not a crime there. So therefore it's not recorded as criminal activity. Activity. But, but it, we he, consider he, that. But that oligarch still wants to get the money out of the country. They want to put it into somewhere else where they can secure that's it. That's right. So, so that somebody can't do that to that's them. Right. So yeah. That's right. So that's so what, so so that's why I think we tend to underestimate because, you know, Everything's trying to be grounded in something you can point to. Mm -hmm. Whether or not those are correct or not, something that you can point to. Otherwise, we're just saying, oh, well, we think. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. It's sort of better to have a, a very high variance number that at least you can track where it came from mm -hmm. than start doing, well, let me just pull a number out of my hat. So you see people say, well, there's this number, and then we think it's higher, so we're going to just bump it up. And that's not a good methodology. Right. Well, uh, our next guest after you right. is going to be Attorney General David Eby, and we're going to talk to him about what are a number of the other measures that he's already right. considering. And, of course, he's going to have to wait until recommendations come back and the inquiry goes through its process. But as you point out, we're already starting to take steps yeah, to I try and tighten up the loopholes. Yeah, I, I think, the, I mean, the, the, the government really needs to be credited for, for, for taking taking steps, and certainly the feedback that we've gotten is is that they're taking the recommendations seriously. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that's there's a there's a lot of credit that needs to be to be due there, um, because I think making anything that makes this, the housing market here reflect more local conditions and less global conditions, I think it's better off for 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 folks who are living and working here. Who call this place home? Who call this place home? Thank you very much. No worries. And now to the response from the government. Joining me is Attorney General David Eby. Mr. Eby, welcome. As we know, uh, the report that has come out, money laundering has had an influence on the housing market. And I know the housing market isn't necessarily your area of responsibility, but you are the top law official in the province of British Columbia. So what is it that we're going to be able to do? Are you going to be able to follow the recommendations? Where do we need to be looking so that we can start to tighten this up? But more importantly, let's before we get into the nuts and bolts of how you're going to do it, let's talk about why it's important that we clamp down on money laundering activities. Sure. I mean, it's interesting. A couple times I've done a bunch of presentations about what was happening in our casinos and the issue broadly. And I've had on more than one occasion people say, well, you know, like it's going to get done somewhere. And like, there are some benefits that flow potentially from having money going through our economy, even if it's from a bad source. And a lot of people have done well by cashing out in the real estate market. And, you know, are we even going to be able to stop it? So and maybe we've got other priorities. What they're really saying is, you know, uh, some people are profiting from this activity. Can't we keep it going? And is it really a good idea to stop it? So the, the short case is, um, number one, when you have uh, an economy that's set up, whether intentionally or otherwise, to facilitate um, money laundering, 
uh, you attract criminals. Mm -hmm. So you're attracting criminals. The, the groups alleged to be involved in BC, the Santa cartel out of Mexico, Middle Eastern organized crime, Asian organized crime, and just domestic organized crime. Um, to name but a few, because there are, there are <laughs> yeah. other international agencies that would be looking for places to, to launder money as well. That's right. So we've, we've managed to attract these groups from around the world to operate in British Columbia because of our lax uh, and permissive oversight mechanisms. That's one problem. You attract more criminals. The second is your professions, lawyers, accountants, real estate agents, uh, uh, you name it, uh, get drawn into this, and then you have an issue of corruption. So the institutions that people are supposed to have confidence in, they don't have confidence in anymore, and it leads to further corruption. The third piece is um, the money comes from crime, and so what you're doing is when you have a gunfight in Vancouver, a targeted hit, or in uh, Surrey, or in Kelowna, or gangs are operating in your neighborhood, they're fighting over is the proceeds of crime. They're fighting over the money that's being laundered, and so you're facilitating and making it, making it easier for those criminals to launder their proceeds and to operate as criminals and make it more profitable to be a criminal. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it leads to increased violence, and then also, I mean, the specific activity in our casinos was linked to the fentanyl uh, overdose crisis that we face, like more than a thousand deaths a year, expansion of our coroner's uh, service because there's so many dead that we can't even manage it. Um, young people just doing, trying drugs for the first time, experimenting, long time drug users dying um, in, in significant numbers, incredibly tragic. So we've got deaths, we've got crime, we've got corruption that comes from this. There are lots of reasons to believe that this costs us significantly more than it contributes. And then the type of economy that it creates, one of vacant homes, vacant condos, unaffordable real estate for actual productive industries, mm -hmm. they're in competition with for housing. They're trying to recruit uh, employees and the employees won't come here because crime is more profitable and people are trying to bid into the housing market and they can't get in because the uh, criminals are uh, more willing to pay to launder the money. It, uh, it's incredibly corrosive. And then there's this underlying feeling that people get, I play by the rules, I pay my taxes, I'm working hard, and I'm competing with criminals, and what, you know, what the hell, why am I bothering to follow the rules if mm -hmm. I'm competing with people who aren't, and there's no consequences for that. So, all of those reasons are legitimate reasons for us to say, yeah, we need to clamp down on this, because the last thing that we want to do is have a demoralized uh, citizenry and uh, overinflated prices on a wide variety of different things. How then do we go about the process of actually addressing this? Because it's international in scope and complicated to be able to, like, to tease it all out. We're not talking about people who've got an extra 500 or or $1,000 that they're trying to launder. We're talking about big sums of money and sophistication that goes with that. Yeah. The themes in the work that's been done to date in terms of the recommendations of the government are pretty consistent, mm -hmm. which is transparency around the transactions that we know uh, where the money's coming from, we know who's putting the money in, and we know, um, uh, and then that that's one part. And then the second part is enforcement, that there's someone, when they get this information, they identify a pattern that suggests a problem, that there's actually someone to follow up on that. Mm -hmm. And we've missed on both. So uh, the provincial government is currently real estate, just starting with that example as a real estate show. So uh, the biggest change and the number one recommendation of both reports was 
uh, we need to actually know who the real people are who own property, not the numbered company, not the offshore trust, not the uh, student or the housewife, but the real person who put up the money and where the money came from. And if you know that, then you can begin the process of through law enforcement or tax enforcement, um, connecting the dots and identifying where the bad money is coming from. Did it surprise you that we've, you know, it's not like we haven't had land registry for a long time. I mean, it's been one of the foundations that we have here. Why didn't we address this before? Like, how is it that we've left this gaping hole in the the whole area of transparency closed or open or wide open? Maybe it's better to say it was wide open. Yeah. Well, w once this registry is in place, it'll be a public registry and people will be able to look at it um, uh, regardless of whether they're law enforcement or tax enforcement or anything like that. Um, it will be world-leading. It'll be fairly unique in the world. The UK has a, a beneficial ownership registry. This one goes a little bit further. Um, and... It's, so it's not just us. It's mm -hmm. a fairly common way of operating. What's unique, well, uh, what has become relatively unique about Vancouver is uh, the fact that we've been attractive to organized crime at this level and that it has become urgent to fix that. What previously wasn't a big deal, like it wasn't necessarily a problem, mm -hmm. um, but we have identified that as a problem. Other jurisdictions have the same, uh, similar problems that we have, but they have not addressed them in this way yet. Well, we did have a, that issue of the flight of capital that was coming out of China for a, a, a solid five or six year uh, time period before China started to clamp down. But those people were looking for places to park that money and, and hide uh, where it was. And whether or not they gained it legally or illegally, what they were doing with it had a, an illegal component to it. And we know what the impact on the market has been, the real estate market as a result. Yeah, one of the interesting um, pieces of uh, the Maloney study, which uh, Sir Somerville was involved in, I understand you had him on the show, Yeah, um, is uh, they said that uh, a lot of money was coming in from the U.S. and people may not think about that particularly um, because they're thinking more about China or other countries. And so um, the benefit of this beneficial ownership registry is it will be visible to law enforcement in the United States, elsewhere in the world, uh, to look at it and identify people. So one of the the um, properties that was identified in the Peter German report was one that was apparently linked to a loan fraud in India, uh, $90 million alleged loan fraud in that country, and the property uh, owned allegedly by uh, one of the uh, individuals or corporate entities involved in that loan fraud. Um, and so uh, it provides the opportunity for finding things like that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Mr. Somerville said that we need to have are agencies that have the resources and the ability to effect, effectively stop uh, money laundering. Is that where we're going? Are we, yeah. going to be I mean, able to, are we going to be able to do that and then fund it? Yeah, so the casinos are a really good example of that. Full transparency at the front counter of who was bringing in the cash, their ID was collected, a form was filled out, people did interviews with them, what's your occupation, where the money come from, blah, blah, blah. All this meticulously transcribed into forms, sent off to the Federal Anti-Money Laundering Agency, where as far as I can tell, it went into a box in a giant dusty warehouse and it wasn't looked at again. Um, we know every person that brought this money in uh, to the casino over a period of about 2008 to 2000, December 2017, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars um, in bulk cash, and yet uh, incredibly limited enforcement. It was only when there was a $1.2 million single cash transaction at the casino in 2015 that law enforcement began to get involved. Uh, and even then, um, that was just one 
entity in one group called Silver International wasn't um, the broad the broad scope. So just having reporting, just having transparency isn't enough. You need enforcement. Yeah. We're working with the RCMP and municipal police to design a provincial enforcement team because even though a lot of this is federal, international currency flows and federal RCMP and federal uh, anti-money laundering agencies, we just can't wait for the federal government on this. We need to have provincial level enforcement. And we're hopeful to have support from the feds financially for it, but if not, we're just going to go ahead and do it. What's the timeline here? I know that we're going to have a public inquiry and there's going to be all sorts of information that comes out, but I think that people are saying, okay, well, can you act now and what are the first steps that you yeah. can put in place? So I think we've got a roadmap for reforms from the reports we've done to date, the beneficial ownership registry and other reforms related to luxury cars and, uh, and the casinos. Um, in terms of the enforcement piece, we're working as quickly as we can. It's, um, it's a challenge to stand up a new police team urgently. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we want to have are people who are highly qualified and it's difficult. So, uh, and we also don't want to duplicate things that are already happening. So that work is happening right now. And well, we're and it's specialized get... work too. When, once you start to get into a, the, the movement of money at an international level, you need a particular level of expertise to be able to identify what is and isn't a legitimate transaction. That's right. And the experts who have talked to me about this have said, you can't underestimate the significance of the problem that we face in terms of the fact that we're starting from almost zero on this. We used to have dedicated teams that were expert on this issue, uh, and they were gradually pulled over and eliminated because the focus became anti-terrorism work Mm -hmm. uh, after September 11th. And so uh, they were all pulled over. Those teams were dismantled. A lot of people retired hired, young officers weren't trained up in financial crime, and so it takes a while to get people up to speed. So we're trying to shortcut that as much as possible by taking a little more time and setting it up at the, at the front end. But I mean, basic things have been done, like just saying to the casinos, you can't accept bulk cash anymore unless you know exactly where it came from and you can prove it. Um, now there have been complaints from uh, some of the casinos, not to us, but to their investors about the impact that's had on their bottom line. Um, and to be frank, they've actually been okay about it in terms of our interactions are fully supportive of what we're doing and they mm-hmm. understand why we're doing it and and they're not complaining about it they're we had Deloitte in to make sure that they were following the rules and they're following the rules now so um these basic changes of and uh, uh we have uh, issues around post-secondary accepting bulk cash it was identified in one of the recent reports and we have issues around luxury cars and a provincial program that gave pst breaks for people exporting luxury vehicles out of BC, it appears to be uh, used for trade-based money laundering. Uh, and then real estate, we talked about it. So there are big changes that are underway or that have been implemented already. Um, so it's happening right now, and it will be happening at the same time as the public inquiry. And as the public inquiry identifies, um, it feels funny to talk about it publicly now, actually, because <laughs> we just announced it. <laughs> right. It's been like, it was so, oh, man. Um, so, but uh, as the public inquiry proceeds, and if they identify something, then we'll be able to act right away. We won't have to wait for recommendations or these kinds of things. Well, the most important right, part right now is that we're sending a signal that says we're clamping down on this, and and that may help to also divert uh intended funds that might have been coming here otherwise. Yeah, it's it's really target hardening, right? I mean, mm. to eliminate, you're not going to eliminate crime. You're not going to eliminate the profits that come from crime. There are some really repressive countries that have that should be far more successful at eliminating drugs and, uh, and the profits from drugs, for example, and they still have uh, drug markets and they still have profits from drug crime. Um, so we're not going to eliminate it. What we, what we can do is make it a lot harder 
and, we, and to avoid attracting international groups to come to British Columbia to launder money here because it's easier. Um, so we'll make it as difficult as possible. We're sending the message unambiguously that times are changing here. Yep. Uh, and if you're coming to set up shop, this is not the place you want to be. Um, and I think we're having some success with that. I just want to go back and touch on one other point because you surprised me a little bit when you, you were talking to me about the, or, or mentioning the fact that a lot of this money was coming in from the United States. But do we know the original source of those funds at this point? And that may be that complex weave that uh, money gets moved around in to clean it up. Yeah, so the the findings of both reports were uh, unambiguous about some of the challenges of knowing where the money comes from. So, for example, you can have a transfer from anywhere in the world electronically into a lawyer's trust account in British Columbia to buy property. The lawyer can act as a realtor um, to purchase the property. And because it's a lawyer, there's no obligation to report to FinTrack, their solicitor client privilege. It can be owned by a corporation where the sole director is the lawyer, so even the individual who's hired the lawyer is invisible. Um, so you can you can completely obscure the source of funds, who the client is, who the purchaser of the land is, uh, and we have that system right now in British Columbia. And so um, that is a, a visibility challenge. Mm -hmm. It's uh, ones and zeros, as Peter German said, coming in from international wire transfers, and um, and it could be anywhere in the world. As I said, you know, one of the examples was a loan fraud in India. So, right. um, but we also know where some of the other money came from. The twenty dollars bills, the stacks of twenty dollars bills, was from proceeds from drug, the drug right. trade in yeah. in British Columbia, mm -hmm. um, linked to fentanyl. Yeah, I'm thinking in relationship to real estate, of course, because that is the focus of this show but as you're talking about the fact that a lawyer can receive these funds well they may be receiving them from another lawyer in a country that's received them from somewhere else oh, absolutely. and somewhere else yeah. and so we it makes it even more difficult for us to identify exactly what the source of that is and if we can't uh, then well we see what the impact is yeah the the anti-money laundering experts called that layering so placement is the first where you have all this bulk 20 dollar bills you get it into the system and then you start layering transactions on top of each other different banks different entities real estate, sell the real estate into the, something else, and then you are able to obscure the original source of the funds because there's so many different layers. And give it the appearance of legitimacy. That's right. Which is a false appearance, and we don't want to be living in a, uh, an environment that has a false economy and this false sense of security. That's right. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. The, yeah. That wraps up today's show. But just before we go, have you heard about the NDP's plan to take control of over 4,000 non-government seniors home care workers? BC seniors and their families were never consulted. Worst of all, it could disrupt services and cost taxpayers up to 25% more. Please visit handsoffmyhomecare.ca and tell your MLA it's time to pause this plan. And one last thing. Just before we go, I want to acknowledge Arnold Chang, Greta Gibson, and Derek Hader, without whom this show would not be possible. What a great team. I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. See you next time. Mm -hmm.